Good morning, church. The scripture for today is in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And if you would like to uh, follow along, you can um, find it on page 1777 in the Bibles in the pew in front of you. So you're welcome to get that. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thank you, August. Good morning. My name is Mike, part of the pastoral team here. As we were praying for Vince, I was remembering sitting right over there talking to, is it Siler? He's the youth pastor, been there for 25 years down at Christ Church, the church close to Trinity uh, University where Nick and Vince and Luke all went. and. I didn't really know him, but we're talking. I knew that Nick had interned there, and uh, Vince had. And I said, Siler, just so you understand the pattern, Nick went to school at Trinity, interned at Christ Church, and now he's a pastor at High Point. Vince went to Trinity, interned for you at Christ Church, and now is a pastor at High Point. Luke is at Trinity. He's going to intern for you and he's going to be a pastor at High Point. So just so you understand. He kind of looked at me like, but we got the best of the deals. We've been in Ephesians, and Ephesians is just this amazing book outlining everything that God is and has done for his church. And because of that, there's so much in material in it to go through. And, and last week, Nick did a beautiful job talking about Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, but we knew he would only get 1 through 8, because that's all pastors ever get through. And even though we have the privilege of 50-minute sermons to stay in God's Word, he still didn't get there. And, and we knew that. And so today we're going to just spend our time in 9 and 10, mostly in 10, because there's a phrase there that kind of gets run by, and we don't know what to do with it anyway, kind of makes us uncomfortable, so it's fine if we run by it, and so we're going to unpack that a little bit, and, uh, and it talks about the fact that God calls us his workmanship. His handiwork, the NIV says. Now, two words that we've heard a lot of, grace and faith. Grace can be all of God's goodness towards us. It can also be God's unmerited favor towards us. It's, it's just one of those words that's encompassing. The greatness of God, how do we talk about that? How do we understand it? Um, Nick made a comment, I think it was two weeks ago. He was talking about how great God is, 
in the fact that he, he made this comment. He said, we're all about Jesus. He sent Jesus to us because we needed him. And we think that's somehow the summation of God's goodness. And he said, it's only a sample of God's goodness. And then we're going to spend eternity discovering the rest of God's goodness, his kindness, his, his holiness, his, his righteousness, and all of those things. And that really hit me because even in salvation, we've made this whole thing about he came and rescued us as if we were the middle point. And it's not about that. It's about God doing things that give him the credit and the glory. And, and that is so important. Then faith is our receiving that. Nick used the illustration last week of, of we take the present and we unwrap it and we say thank you. That's to the extent that we participate. We didn't buy the present. We didn't think of the present. We didn't do anything to the present. We just say, oh, thank you. And we receive it. And we learn to live in it then. But it's by his goodness. And he gets all the credit and, and it's so critical for us to, to really understand. Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.31 says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He doesn't say you shouldn't boast. He just said, when you boast, make sure you boast correctly. Boast in the Lord because he deserves all the credit. He gets all the glory. You had nothing to do with it. In James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Sometimes we do something, even if it's for God, and we're like, look at what I did for God. No, everything that we did, everything that is good, everything that is perfect comes from the Father above. Everything. And we come to this verse in 3, I mean in 2.10, and it says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now notice the order of that. We were created in Christ Jesus. Then comes the works. We are so works oriented as, as people that we think there's something that we must do in order to get God's attention and, and we, can, we can help him along in this and we can't. There's nothing that we can do that is good in God's eyes. You know, it'd be like, oh, do you see what that guy did, Jesus? We need to go figure out what that is. That conversation never happened because God gave us everything that is good, everything that is perfect, and we rely on that. But the phrase that gets overlooked in that is we are his handiwork. We are his workmanship. Now there's, the word that's used there is the same word that's used over in Romans 12 and then Romans, I mean in Genesis, when it, talking about creation. Sometimes when, I was talking with somebody in the lobby after first service and he said, thank you. He said, I have always thought of myself as a better version now that God got a hold of me. He said, but I'm not a better version, am I? I said, no, because if it was a better version, a lot of you would still be there. And it would be kind of a watered down, maybe better version, but that's not what God's talking about. He said, you are a new creation. First Corinth, or 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 
you are God's handiwork. The word that is used there is the same word as, as creation in Genesis. The first time he made man, God put his hands to it. He worked with this and brought out mankind perfect because it was before the fall. When we came to salvation, when we come to that point where we say yes to Jesus because we learn we cannot live this life the way it was meant to be lived, that we fight sin, that it is powerful over us and we can't break it and we find ourselves living in ways that are detrimental because it's taking us away from God instead of towards him. When we come to that realization and say yes to Jesus, it says that we are recreated. The same energy, the same handiwork, the same hands-on. When God first made Adam and Eve, that's the work that went into your salvation. And now you are new. You think differently. You, you process differently. You perceive differently. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, we no longer see according to the flesh because we're new in Christ. It says we, we even saw Christ according to the flesh until we understood this. And now we see him differently. And so this handiwork, this workmanship of God is amazing and it was for a purpose. The purpose that it was for was so that you would live a life ordained by God and says, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now we read that and I don't know if you're like me, I think of success. Wow, I've gotta be an amazing Christian because God has given me these great things to do. And that's not what he means at all. He means that from now on, as a Christian, the life that I lead will be all because and all for that I am the handiwork and the workmanship of, of God. So the ordinary life that I now lead is for his glory. And it doesn't matter if anybody sees them, acknowledges them. Every breath I take from now on is to be for God's glory. Now that's wonderful, and we can amen that. But how many times, maybe in your own life, you came to Christ and there was this, almost this euphoric sense that everything was gonna be good. And it was, until we began judging it by our language and the world's. And we get back out in the world and we realize that not everybody's excited that I'm a Christian. In fact, in today's headlines, nobody's excited that I'm a Christian. In fact, they think we're the problem because we're different. Because in our differencing, it feels like we're taking away from their excellence, that we're robbing them of their creativity and their ability to boast. Because we know that in our lives, it wasn't us, it was God. And all the boasting is to be done in him. And so over time, that fire that seemed to burn within us about our faith and about Jesus 
tended to fade a little bit and we, we tended to, to hide it and we didn't make the announcement and say, guess what I did? I became a Christian. You did what? And we kind of learned that that's not the message that we want and so we kind of simmer and we forget that the world out there is not the world that God wants us to live. It's not the world that we were designed to live in. We were made, remade as his family, destined to live a different kind of life, a life that brings glory to God, a life that lifts up the name of Jesus. And we have to remind ourselves of that. But more than that, we have to practice living out these good things that God has called us to do. Now, I've been a pastor for 41 years. That's a long time. And you'll get there. It's coming, buddy. And a lot of pastoring is about helping people understand two things. No, you didn't deserve it. And yes, you got it. In learning to live inside of both of those truths, we don't deserve God's mercy, his love. That's why it's called unmerited favor. Nothing that we can do I've had people say, but you don't know the life I've led. And I've wanted to say and probably have said, don't really care. Because God does, and he said, I love you. He said, you were my creation in the first place, and I'm going to do what it takes to bring you back to that space where you can be in right relationship with me. And they're like, but, it's like, there are no buts. You're fully known and yet fully loved. And then like Nick talked about last week, we're just convinced because of our pride that we have to have something to do with this. I've gotta do something because none of us value what's free. But that's the reality that we have in Christ Jesus is that we don't deserve it and we get it. We get his love. We get his forgiveness. And he created us then to be a person in his family that can walk out just an ordinary day-to-day life that's lived in such a way that may contain moments I certainly hope there are some moments in it that you're like, yes, may contain some heartache, but all of it is for the goodness of God. It's all for the glory of God. He gets the credit in all of it. My sister, well, we, our family grew up on the water, and uh, my uncle had a, a 49-foot, and dad had a 36-foot boat, and, and I had a 19-foot ski boat, so all vacations were on the water. That's just what we did. 
And my sister learned, she's eight years younger than I am, she learned that her safe place, her happy place was on the water. She just loved it. And so she's also the kind of person that just has given everything away. So she has no means to buy a boat. And so her happy place was always out there. And, but she's also this amazing godly woman who at age 20 was like, I'll never have kids. Kids are from Satan. Not realizing that she also was one. But in five years later, she's growing into this amazing mom. And a woman who really has lived out her life according to the gospel. She has brought more women who have been hurt and um, have lost hope into family. She's adopted a little one. She's, she actually loved this woman so well that the woman who was still single asked if they could adopt her, and so they adopted a 24-year-old that didn't live with them. And because she just exudes Jesus in this safety and this wonderful aura of, of what God wants them to be. So Esther and I were back in Seattle three weeks ago, and, and uh, we pull in, and here's this boat. Now, I don't know if you know what, anybody know what a Moomba boat is? Same account as last, okay, a couple of you. Yeah, we had two last service too. It's an $85,000 ski boat. That's the entry price. And Marisa had this family, friends, that she had, was going to adopt this baby, and in the dream, God said, that baby's not yours. And she figured out whose baby it was and, and got the family and the, the mother, the birth mother connected. And, and uh, this family was just ecstatic over having this little child. And he called Marisa one day, and, and he's got plenty of bucks. And he said, uh, I need a dollar from you. And she's like, that's weird. No, I need you to bring me a dollar today. And she's like, you got a gazillion of them. You don't need my dollar. I need my dollar. She's like, no, at lunchtime, I need you to get in the car and bring me one dollar. Okay, so she does. Hands the guy a dollar. He hands her back a slip of paper that's a receipt of sale and the keys to a 21-foot Moomba. She begins to cry, crying so hard she can't say thank you. She just is burst into this gratitude thing. She cried for 24 hours straight because she didn't deserve that boat. Now, she had a boat that I was afraid to get into on the trailer. <laughs> you knew the floor was just going to give out. Much less put the crazy thing in the water. That's just a recipe for drowning, not pleasure. And I'm looking at that boat, and I'm saying, you don't deserve that, <laughs> you know? I do, but you don't. <laughs> and she didn't. But because how she lived her life, somebody saw the beauty in giving her something that she couldn't have, that she could enjoy. They were believers too, and I believe this guy really understood that Marisa was made in God's image and the life that she had lived towards God also allowed her to enjoy this blessing 
because he knew that she wouldn't just go sit in the middle of the lake, she would use it for God's glory, and she does. Or we think of a, a child who came from a very difficult upbringing and is adopted into a family. And that family begins to love that child, and that child doesn't live like they would have, but instead they live according to the new family. In this new family, there's education, and there's food, and there's clothes, and there's a variety of clothes, and there's friends, and there's warmth, and there's shelter, and there's forgiveness, and there's all of these things that that child now learns to live in even though it wasn't their birth. And it's like us, our birth is into sin, but God says, no, I wanna bring you into my family because I wanna bless you. I wanna recreate your life in such a way that brings glory to me because you are my handiwork. You are the work of these, God says. It's it's amazing to me to even think that God spent as much energy as he did at creation on my salvation. That he knew and he was he was invested in it. And it wasn't something small. And it set a pattern for you and for I, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've submitted your life to him, if you've said no to yourself and and yes to Jesus, then he hasn't made you better. He's given you a new creation. He said, I want this for you and everything that you live from now on, I want you to live and to think differently because you're mine. You are my workmanship. Therefore, when you live life, people will know I'm involved because you're gonna think differently, talk differently, perceive differently, act differently. You're just gonna be different. And sometimes we shy away from that and God is saying, no, this is good. This is good that you're different because you look and you radiate me. And that's what we want. John 15, there's a story. Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches. And you can't have a grapevine that produces apples. It's impossible. Now, I'm sure somewhere in science they can graft in something, but that's different. That's not the genetic gene that, that carries it out. When we are in Christ, we are produced in such a way we are made new that our life emulates that of the creator. We are the branches and he is the vine. So our lives, the branches, have the same DNA in them as the creator, as the vine. Now for some of us, that's just a stretch. Like, it's like, you know, what is it? Uh, 1 Corinthians 2 ends with, now we have the mind of Christ. Every time I read that, I'm just like, yeah, right. Me? (laughs) Estel says, no. (laughs) And 
That's what it says. So Paul spends all this energy on telling us how we can live, not how we should live, but how we can live because of Christ in us, how good it is to live in the family of God and in all these various things because it's true. It's not because this is the eternal hope. No, the eternal hope is the fact that we're gonna live in heaven with Christ. But now we get to live as unto God. So you look at you know, Colossians 2, 3, and it says, you know, you have this mindset, set your mind on the things of Christ. Well, what's that mean? It means that live life thinking about how you would live as gods, because that's who you are. Philippians 4, 8, it sounds like this recipe for those that are no earth, you know, so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. No, it means when you think Think about how God would have you to live. Romans 12.2. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't think like the world. Don't be selfish. Don't do this for your power, for your gain. No. Be transformed. Think in such a way that God will get the credit because that's the absolute way, best way that you can live. It's the absolute best way that you can think is how God would have you to think. And we get caught up in the cultural pressures to conform to them. And God's like, you don't have to go there. You don't have to struggle and fight up the corporate ladder. You don't have to have perfect kids. You don't anyway. You don't have to struggle with all of these things. Just live life in a way that reflects who I am because you belong to me and I made you. And the life that you live is the one I created for you to live out. So stop trying to be somebody else. Stop trying to live for somebody else. Stop trying to live for yourself and live for me because I created you. You are my handiwork. And that's a little daunting to get your mind wrapped around because we don't deserve it and we received it. Numbers 13, 14 talks about the Israelites have have come up and they're ready to go into the promised land that God promised them. Interesting connection. Um, It is supposed to be this amazing place. Great place to live, great food. Yeah, it's got some giants in it, but you know, we'll take care of those. I'm gonna give this land to you. Now, if somebody said, I'm gonna give you this land and you drove into it and everybody you saw was nine foot tall and things are oversized and they look really good, but you're thinking, I can't do this. This is more than I can handle. These people are scary. You go back home and somebody says, well, what'd you think? Yeah, it's nice, but a little over the top. So 10 come back with that report. They were afraid. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, come back and they say, you know what? It's just like God said it would be. And he said he was going to give it to us, so let's go. 
because they learned to think in such a way that emulated what God had said. Their behavior, their actions weren't challenged by culture. Everything that they saw was just the way that God said it would be and it was going to be theirs. The last part of this verse, Numbers 14, seven to nine, it says, don't be afraid of the people of the land because we'll devour them. Their protections are gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. How many times do we go into a situation afraid? Wondering, can I do this? Is this the right choice? These people are awful big. They're smarter than I am. They're more creative. They're this, that, and the other. Instead of saying no, God has ordained the life that I'm living because he created me, because I am his handiwork, I am his workmanship, and he set my life out in front of me, and he said, go and live that way. And I don't have to find that way, I just have to live what comes to me. And everything that comes to me, I live as unto God. Because my life is set. It's set in him. The power, abilities, now, we're supposed to steward them. We're supposed to grow. We're supposed to understand what the Word says so that we know how to live this life. But you are the handiwork of God. Now, don't make a banner of that and put it on your house. It won't go well with the neighbors. But believe it. Affirm it in your heart. And it's not contrary to what Nick said last week. That's not pride because those who boast, let your boasting be in the Lord. I can affirm, yes, I am the handiwork of God. Am I perfect? No. Am I in the process of learning how to be who God has called and created me to be? Yes. Living for Christ is a marathon, it's not a sprint. You're not gonna figure it all out tomorrow, as many of you know. I've been walking with the Lord for a long time. Um, I was five years old, so 46 years, 47 years. <laughs> You've been walking longer than I have. And so, but I'm not yet fully who I will be in, in Christ as far as knowing how to live it out as I will when I'm 80. I'm going to get better at this still because there's more to get better at. But I am his workmanship. I am a product of his handiwork. In our relationships, let's talk just a few minutes about what that looks like. One of my mentors early on in marriage gave me some great advice and I have never forgot it. Not because Estelle daily reminds me of it. She's kinder than that. But he said, remember who Estelle is. She's the handiwork of God. God calls her his daughter. Treat her accordingly. Now for a young buck who was too proud 
and thought he had the world whipped, that was really good advice. Because there have been days when I have not wanted to treat her that way. And instead, I've said two things. No, she is the handiwork of God, and I am the handiwork of God. Therefore, she was made in the image of God and should be treated her accordingly, and I was made in the image of God and can treat her accordingly because of the power within me. God gets the credit. That little mental exercise has stopped a majority of fights in our household because I have another problem, and that's that she's usually right. So I save myself a lot of anguish. Another thing I've heard from way too many young couples usually is the question, I love this woman or I love this man, how far can we go sexually and stay Christians? And I'm like, wrong question. But I love her and I, I, I need to know. Good curiosity, wrong question. Who is she? Who is he? Who made them? Who do they belong to? Well, they're made in the image of God. God values them and created their life to be lived in such a manner that honors him. Do you want to be the one that steals that sensual pleasure that's meant to be fully enjoyed in marriage but will now cause shame? Is that who you want to be for them? Oh. No, I want to be the one who protects this great emotion, this great part of living in, in marriage. I want to protect that so when they come to marriage, there is so much joy expressed in that sensual moment. I don't want to tarnish it with shame. I want to recognize who they are and treat them accordingly. I want to recognize who I am and walk accordingly. When we go to work, why do we work? How do we work? As somebody who's the handiwork of God, who somebody is the workmanship of God. Well, God provides. And he stewards. So he sends us to work and we provide. We steward. We go and do a specific job. Well, somebody else does a specific job. Well, somebody else does a specific job. And in this community of workers, we exchange our time for money so that we can get other things that they've created or the farmers have grown. And we have life because we're all contributing as God contributes and provides. I go to work and I work ethically. I work um, with quality in mind. I work with character in mind. Why? Because that reflects who God is. And I am his workmanship. His DNA is within me and so I work accordingly. I don't gripe, complain against others because God said you don't need to and said let your tongue be tamed and speak this way. I was with a group of guys downtown and they were Christians just a couple months ago. 
and there's a group of protesters outside the restaurant and they, somebody said, look at them. And I said, what do you mean by them? One of the other guys said, here we go. <laughs> because we've had this conversation. Who is them? Them is created by God. Are they redeemed yet? No. But if we go around bad-mouthing them, will they ever want to be? No. Because our kindness won't lead them to repentance in the same manner that God's kindness when we were bitter led us to repentance. But as the workmanship of God, I am free to live differently, to live in such a way that brings honor to him. That somebody looks at me and says, wow, you're different. You didn't need to stop and help them. And they're really thinking, well, I should have, but I just blew on by them. But you did. Why? Because God is a God of compassion. God is a God who cares. God is a God who gives himself over when he doesn't need to. He's already perfect. He already has everything. Why should he bend to our need? And we get to live that way and, and emulate him because we are his workmanship. We get to think, be, live, love, work, have friends differently because of who he is. Luke 6, 35, 36 says, love your enemies. We can just pick out behaviors that are strange throughout the Bible, and every one of them will lead us to living as God is. And it's beautiful. It's powerful. And this isn't what you should aspire to. This is who you are. You need to remember, you need to practice who you are, but you don't need to become who you are. God has done that. And so this week, I want to encourage you and challenge you. Be who you are. Just live your life. But live the life that God ordained you to live because he created you. He recreated you at salvation. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, I'm not a Christian, but this sounds better than what I have, all you need to do is to recognize that and then to understand that God did this amazing thing because he recognized it too. And he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. That Jesus raised and was victorious over sin and now lives sitting next to the Father. And when we say yes to him, to his will, to his way, we step into a life. Because at that moment, he puts, God puts his hands into us and recreates the new you that's meant to bring glory to God, not to live selfishly.
And if you need to do that, you can just tell God, I need that. I need to repent, which simply means I need to turn from the way I've been and walk towards you with your power, with your grace. If you want to continue that conversation, there'll be people right over here to talk with as soon as service is over. They would love just to have that conversation with you. For the rest of us, live with confidence of Christ in you. Live with the authority that God gave you that you are not subject to culture. You are subject to the love of God. You are subject to the grace of God. You are subject to the unmerited favor of God. And every time you stop and there's something in front of you, the answer is likely a prayer away. When you can stop and say, Father, how do you want me to think about this? Father, how should I pursue this? Father, what should I say about this? Father, should I even be here? And then that next thought in your head, do it. Because that's how much God cares and loves that he is that close. But you have to learn to practice the presence of God. You have to understand that he is here and you are now created as his workmanship to receive that goodness. Worship team, would you come up? The song that we're gonna sing talks about the battle that we have. And it ends with the realization that all of this is from God. And it is to be lived out in that way. The credit goes to him. The realization that I can only do this through Christ Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit within me. Contemplate that as either you listen or you sing. That as a Christian, God has a different life for you to walk out, not to stumble with, not to question, but to walk confidently in because of who you are in Christ Jesus. Let's stand.